The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome to Onsite, an informative, easygoing podcast series about the trade industry. Brought to you by Trade Jobs NZ and the Spinoff Podcast Network. I'm Jay Reeve, and along with my co-host Brooke Sparky or Thompson, we'll take a good hard look at the ups, downs, and opportunities of a life on the tools. Subscribe now via your preferred podcast provider, and if you're ready for a career in the trades, visit tradejobsnz.co.nz. Here we are, episode five of On Site Podcast, brought to you by Trade Jobs NZ. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back, Brooke Sparky, your Thompson. And today we're talking all about site safety. Joining us today is the one and only Peter Wolfcamp, the resident builder and the foreman of the Block NZ, along with being a successful broadcaster and presenter. Welcome. Yeah, lovely to meet you, Jay, and uh, nice to say hello to you too, Brooke. Hey, I guess we can climb straight into it, Pete. Now, um, obviously, before TV and radio, you were on site, you were a tradie. How did you get into it? When did you get into it? Um, so I got into it a couple of years after leaving school. I actually did some other work, um, actually youth work of all things for a couple of years, and then a uh, family friend who was about to start building the house for his, I knew his kids, um, and the kids said to me, oh, look, Dad needs a hand. And at that time, to be honest, I really I didn't have much else on, so I went, okay, that sounds cool. I'll give it a go. And so I met Tom, uh, who's a, a Dutchman like me or my family, and um, we started building his house, and then we built another house, and we built a couple more after that, and eventually I went out on my own. But I, I have to say that that early introduction to building was someone like Tom, who was, um, you know, tremendously talented, uh, incredibly sort of intellectual in his approach to building. Uh, it wasn't enough to do the job. I had to know why I was doing what I was doing. Um, so I, I had, I think, um, I feel very um, blessed in a sense to have probably the best introduction I possibly could have had into the construction sector. Not to probably disclose the vintage that you're operating, uh, but, <laughs> but there would be, I would say, at that stage in New Zealand, quite a boom in the building industry and quite a few people straight out of school taking up a trade. Um, I, to be honest, I think that when, like I, my last year at high school uh, was 1984, so I started building in 1987, which if you remember things like the stock market crash, wasn't a great time to be uh, involved in small business in New Zealand. Um so I think even at that time in education, and you know, there was that move to, to sort of the aspirational view was if you wanted something better for your son or your daughter, you wanted to make sure they got out of manual trades, out of you know, blue-collar work. 
Um, and I think that attitude had already started to sort of percolate through the education system and we were all encouraged to go off and, and do things that weren't manual trades. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in that sense, you know, it was not like everyone wanted to do it. People were moving away from the trades. Um, but I, I think I found my, my niche there for a while at least. And, um, yeah, I've never looked back. Since this episode is focusing probably a bit more squarely on the safety aspect of the trades, sure. how much has changed, <laughs> bearing in mind that we've only got 45 minutes? Yeah, okay. Um, look, I think that, I mean, there's always been health and safety policies and regulations in New Zealand, um, and there's always been a WorkSafe or a health and safety officers and so on, and, and companies have always expected to comply. Saying that, it was quite a different landscape in uh, To be honest, I started work um, in my father's factory when I was a kid. Now, you can't have 11-year-olds operating uh, heavy machinery and equipment in factories these days, which I think is a shame. But anyway, um, (laughs) so, so, you know, that's kind of where I grew up, right? My family always made things, and we were always part of that process of making things. Saying that, I think in terms of awareness around safety, it was there, but it was a lot more of a sort of a macho culture to some degree. It was a lot more of a, oh, well, look, you know, we all expect to get hurt somehow. And, you know, I've met a very large number of sales reps who are missing uh, various digits. Um, and that's why they went from the construction sector into the sales sector, because they're missing bits of their body. Um, so that part of the culture and the ethos I'm, I'm pleased we've got rid of. And I think, too, there's the benefit of, of research. You know, there's a lot of really nuanced and well-thought-out and well-documented research around what are the long-term effects of what we do. So it's all well and good protecting ourselves while we're doing a particular job, but what's the impact of that job years to come? And, again, if you look at, you know, exposure to asbestos, let's say, in, in all sorts mm-hmm. of trades 30, 40, 50 years ago, exposure to toxins, exposure to dust and so on, that can have a long-term effect. So we're starting to see the benefit of the research that goes, yes, you have to protect yourself for what you're doing today in terms of maybe protecting your eyes, you know, ensuring you don't cut your fingers off, those sorts of things, but also what's going to be the impact years to come. When you're 60, do you want to be coughing and spluttering because you didn't do any dust prevention? You know, do you want to be um, unwell because you've exposed yourself to harmful products and chemicals because you didn't take the time to wear a respirator in certain situations? So there's kind of like short-term and long-term in terms of health and safety, which I think has improved. Has there been a change from what you've seen from the... I've never worn safety glasses. I've never worn a mask. I've punched three packs of darts a day, lived off meat pies. I only drink (laughs) something that's carbonated. I've never put on sunscreen. You'll never see me on site with a shirt. And every now and again, I forget my boots and the jandals will do the job. With the new tradies that are coming through, are you noticing that they have a bit more of a look into the future as you were just sort of talking about that, you know, this is, this is a job, this is a career, this is a vocation that I want to be in, but I also want a life after it. Um, look, I would love to say that um, there has been a profound and long-standing change or a long-lasting change, but it's not. Um, so, you know, I was up on site the other day um, and there was a guy working away, sure he had his boots on, um, no shirt on, it was 11 o'clock in the day, he was definitely going to get sunburned and, you know, hearing protection and, and that sort of thing. It doesn't always happen. Um, and it is it is a bit of a constant struggle with the young guys to go, 
you know, it's it's not about necessarily uh, looking after yourself now and appearing to be a bit of a wuss or whatever, however you want to perceive it. It's it's about what are you going to be like at 60, right? So if your knees are buggered because you didn't wear, you know, if you're working on concrete floor, then then wear some knee pads, right? It's just sensible precaution. If you're um, cutting something that's likely to eject uh, debris into the air, then wear safety glasses. You know, I want to be able to sit and watch the TV at night without having the volume up at 60 or 70. <laughs> that's why I wear earmuffs during the day because, to be blunt, I've lived with people that have to turn the TV up to a sort of deafening rate because they never looked after their hearing. It's really simple. I guess if we throw it to Brooke now, who's uh, that new generation that is coming through, Mm. have you noticed that there is a bit of a fresher take in the industry from what you've seen, particularly probably in your line of work? Well, I was just laughing at what Peter said in regards to, you know, having the TV up at 60. Um, I've worked with tradesmen who I will say, hey, can you give me a hand? And they're like, what? Hey, can you give me a hand? What? I'm like, oh, it's the worst. I'm like, please just wear your hearing protection. Like, it is worth it in the long run. Um, But I think that there's this really cool change going on, especially in people my age and probably especially women, I think are a bit more safety conscious because I don't have this monkey on my back going like, yeah, got to be a tough Southern man and I don't need sunscreen and I'm, I'm one of the boys. Like I'm safety Sally. Like I'm like, I don't want to go home and cough my lungs out tonight. Um, my respirator is my best friend. I wear it everywhere in the roofs, every opportunity, just because I have a real deep respect for my body And I think that it is one of those things of balancing um, your job and how fast you need to do things and also having respect for your body and taking care of it. And I love this idea that there's no task worth smashing out faster for the sake of taking away from your body. Um, So I think like in our generation, we're definitely coming through with that. There's no job worth my health. And um, it's like really cool to see and quite um, inspiring um, to find that change coming through, I guess. Have you noticed, Brooke, um, on site people probably, I guess you'd never run onto, I can only, I only played footy, so I can only make the assumption <laughs> that this is what happens. If you're, when you're playing a game of footy, you warm up beforehand and then you get into your work and then you warm down afterwards. Are you noticing the same on site? I guess I'll throw it first to you, Brooke, and then, and then to you, uh, Peter. In regards to kind of getting prepped for the day, um, I do know some tradies who go to yoga before they go to work, which is probably a quite a nuanced like phenomenon that's happening. Um, people just really investing in uh, stretching their body, being mindful of what they're putting their body through, um, which is so cool because one of the massive aspects of the trades is it's such a physical job, right? So we need to make sure that we're not burning ourselves out and we're continually replenishing our own energy, our own cup. So we're not getting to an age and losing our hearing or having um, asbestos related diseases. Like the trades are always going to be a dangerous place. So it's always about just taking that one extra step and making sure that you're safe first. What about you, Pete? You uh, often found at a Pilates class around about 5.30 before getting into the big day's money. <laughs> I have to say it must be a, uh, a Southland thing about the whole yoga. <laughs> no, was, with the greatest respect. Um, to be honest, though, you know, again, we, I don't see a lot of it. I mean, look, a lot of young guys are really fit. Uh, a lot of young people in the trades are really fit, and arguably people probably look after themselves better than they did in the past. But, you know, there's, there's, there's room for improvement, let's say. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I think we, we need to be mindful of the impact of 
the physical nature of the work that we do um, will have on our bodies. It's you know I'd also jump in there as the slightly grey-haired, grumpy old guy to go, hey, look, back in the day, you know, you don't know how lucky you've got it today. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the look you know, for for my generation, first three houses that I built, uh, we hand nailed them. <laughs> Uh, you know, cut all the frames ourselves and hand nailed them. There was no way my boss was buying one of those newfangled bloody nail gun things. So, and, you know, that, that's just part of that time and part of that experience. Um, so, yeah, I think there is room for improvement. And I, I guess, too, that we're also often dealing with, we're not just dealing with tradespeople, we're not just dealing with health and safety, we're, we're also dealing with young people. Uh, young people typically believe that they're bulletproof, so it's it's sometimes really, really difficult to sort of say to a, a young person who's working who who has spent the whole day in the sun with no, you know, sun cream on or anything like that, doesn't wear a hat, um, takes his shirt off because then they're going to get a tan, which is going to look awesome on the weekend, to go, <laughs> hang on, so if I talk to you about my mates who are uh, brickies and builders and that sort of thing, who are constantly going back to their GP to have more and more melanomas removed, simply as a result of not looking after themselves when they were young, you might have a slightly different attitude. But, you know, you can have those conversations. Do people listen? Sometimes, most of the time not. I think with age definitely comes wisdom. Like for a lot of young people, you think you know everything. And then mm. as you kind of grow up, you're like, wow, I definitely understand seeing other people go through mistakes or, or things they wish they had changed Um you definitely have a lot of wisdom. So I have deepest respect for the guys on site who have been in the trades for years because they do know their stuff and they do know what they're talking about. It's just whether us young kids uh, decide to listen in or not. Look, I, I think, you know, again, I think about doing jobs, you know, 30 odd years ago where we had a couple of brackets on the framing and a single plank and we're up two or three stories nailing off fascia. It's crazy. You know, I don't miss those days at all, right? It was it was nerve wracking, it was scary and people did hurt themselves. Now, people continue to hurt themselves on building sites. Uh, we know that, There's the, the data is there. So... You know, I, I think for, again, for people of my age, uh, we're probably looking at it going, we've also got to ensure, and this is one of my personal peeves, is that we don't have this kind of safety vest bubble notion that somehow because I'm wearing a high-vis vest or whatever, that I'm suddenly safe. Safety is all about attitude and awareness and insight. And yes, sometimes it's about practice, i.e. it is safer to wear hearing protection than not. But, you know, in terms of the things that will really hurt you, the trips, the falls, the, you know, the injury from, from materials or from equipment, that's really about awareness. And I think sometimes we've, we've started to focus a little bit too much on a kind of prescriptive approach to it. You must do this, you must, you must, you must, rather than a, do you understand the environment that you're in? Are you aware of the risks? Have you got a plan for yourself that is going to allow you to go home at the end of the day? And ultimately, that is our, that's our goal um, for all of us on site, is we all want to go home at the end of the day. We all want to go home with all of the bits that we had at the beginning of the day. <laughs> and, and, you know, long term, we, we want to be able to continue to, to live well and and be a, have freedom of movement to to not be coughing to not have our eyesight affected because I could give you twenty stories of people who have had permanent disability as a result of workplace accidents and and that's not what we want. I think you um you can draw quite a quite a close parallel between 
the building industry and and motorcycling with the, with the exact same attitudes. There was a there was mm. a thought that if I put on a helmet and if I put on a leather jacket, then I will survive. And then obviously, yeah. stats will show you that that wasn't the case. And then the big call for high-vis vests came, and then once again, people just assumed that because you're wearing a high-vis vest, that you're seen by motorists and that you'll be safe. And it definitely isn't. But I think it is exactly what – and you hit the nail on the head, pardon the pun. But the <laughs> attitudinal thing – the attitudinal change that needed to happen and probably still needs to happen, um, a friend of mine, Carl, Carl Whiting, he is a three-time world champion, three different sports, and, and does – uh, very similar work in and around sites and, and showcases the work and the and the knowledge that he got from Sir Peter Blake. And one of the best things that he reckons he learned was that on a boat, you're not in charge of yourself. You're looking after the person next to you. They're looking after the person next to them. And so there's a shared responsibility the whole time. So you don't worry about yourself ever because somebody's always got your back. Is there anything like that in the building industry that you've seen, I guess, a program that's been implemented so that everyone's sort of looking after each other on site as opposed to just solely f- focusing on themselves? Um, I, I mean, I, I do, in various roles, have a, a, do a lot of, of health and safety, right? So, um, you know, one of the things that we're often talking about there is, is that we, are, we all have a responsibility to the health and safety on site. And this is probably one of the key changes with legislation, let's say, over the last 10 years that says it is not the role of, you know, maybe you've got, the health and safety officer or maybe you have someone else who comes in or one person in your team is tasked with that. That's not how we should see it. It it should be a collective movement to go, we are all actively participating in that. So if I see something that someone else is doing that's unsafe, do I have a responsibility? Should I go to them and say, actually, you know, are you aware of what you're doing and do you think you could do it in a better way? And that, you know, even saying that makes us sound a little bit like the old telltale, you know, at, at school, the kid who sits up the front, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, so there's, there does, there's still a tremendous amount of resistance to change and, and to being more proactive around safety. And then I'm going to contradict myself by saying I also don't want people to focus so much on the rules that they forget what they actually have to do to stay safe. Uh, we're going to take this time for a little bit of a break. A lot more questions to throw Peter Wolfcamp's way. Stay there. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back. Peter Wolfcamp, the resident builder, with us talking site safety. You know, it's a commonly held uh, belief that the health and safety uh, is just bureaucratic BS and it's slowing down the amount of time that it takes to get a house built. And at the moment, with building costs going up 16% and materials being unavailable, this is just another cost to having a house built in New Zealand. And why would I, why would I want to go with someone like that when I can get a few cowboys in that have no health and safety and knock it up quicker? And if they lose a couple mm. of digits, so be it. At least I get a death on there <laughs> for half the price. Um, yeah, and I think there is still that attitude out there. Um, you know, I, I would probably maintain, and I'm not just saying this because it's the right thing to say, I actually think that sites that are safe, that are well-managed, well-organised with, you know, good access, good scaffolding, lack of trip hazards all over the place, work faster. So in a sense, taking the time to make a safe work site probably means that you're also a lot more efficient and efficiency is profit. 
I, I actually have a really good example of this that actually happened in play on site is um, I worked on a site, trip hazards everywhere, site was an absolute mess, and I ended up hurting myself. I smashed my nose into a bit of two by four, and I completely broke my nose, and I gave myself a wicked concussion. And I ended up having about six months off work because I had delayed onset concussion. So from a financial point of view, if you have hazards on site and you're going to injure your employees, you're going to set your project back. So it should be in your financial interest and your, you know, your business interest and the project's interest to keep people healthy so they can be there to do the work, you know? Is there an incentive, Brooke, for, I guess, people coming into trades to be a bit more health and safety conscious, to make sure that they are slicker, to make sure that they do sort of follow the rules? And if there aren't some, to put their hand up and become leaders early? I think absolutely. From what I've seen in Queenstown, there's a massive push for normal things like um, toolbox talks. When I first started in companies, it was like a, yeah, sure, we have a toolbox talk once a month maybe, but with a lot of companies here, they have them every week and um, they're really good at communicating through their trades. Hey guys, the flooring guys are coming. They're going to be putting down some like epoxy kind of smellies like you don't want to be in the house for that you don't want to breathe that in like maybe come back tomorrow like they're just really good at communicating um and the one thing that I love on my sites is if the young dudes are cutting or they're doing something a bit dangerous I'm always the first one to pop my head in and be like oi put your mask on like (laughs) give them a bit of shit kind of wind them up and um I don't mind doing that because I think from um like a woman's point of view I'm I'm really caring about everyone on site. I'm thinking of other people. I want them to stay healthy and happy. And um, if I can put my hand up and give them a bit of shit and they do it, um, I feel like that's kind of that good balance of having the both genders on site sort of thing. We're just, we're using our nurture and our nature to just look out for each other and just um, make a better site as a whole. Peter, you've been across a multitude of sites in your career uh, and even through the broadcasting of your career through the, um, the TV shows that you've done. Mm. Um, have you noticed with the introduction of more females into trade that the health and safety attitude has changed or has it been affected positively or negatively? I guess if you put a scientific rule over that, you'd say that the, the relatively small number of women coming into the trades has probably had little to no effect, uh, only because it's it's not really measurable. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, like I say, there are, there are definitely changes, but then there are societal changes as well. You know, um, cultures around masculinity, about looking after yourself, about talking about mental health. It, it's sort of, it's okay to look after yourself now, whereas, you know, traditionally, particularly in terms of masculinity, we'd probably say, well, we, we don't want to talk about looking after yourself. It's just not that important. Um, and that went for our sort of our emotional well-being, our psychological well-being, and sometimes our physical well-being as well. So I think what you are starting to see, arguably for better or worse, is just the changes that we see in society have made their way onto the building site. How would you go about sort of encouraging uh, foremen on sites or people that are running the, the H&S across those sites to be better? What are the simplest and most straightforward ways and actions that they can take to make a site safer and make sure that everyone gets home at the end of the day? In some ways, it's almost like a carrot and stick approach. So, you know, the, the carrot to all of this, the encouragement is that um, when you're twice your age today, you still want to have all of your fingers. You still want to be able to see well. You still want to be able to hear well. 
you don't want to be constantly going back to the GP to have more and more lesions removed because you didn't take care of your skin. And and these are all real concerns, right? Um, you know, this is real stuff that happens. I, I know so many people that have, uh, you know, really suffering from skin cancer and melanomas because they just didn't look after themselves. Um, I know plenty of people that have had debilitating injuries that could have been prevented that have had an impact on their lives every single day from the moment that it, that happened. Um, and you can appeal to their pocket as well. Uh, you know, I again, I know stories and I've met people who had good building careers, then had an injury, then they've lost their ability to earn, they've lost their houses, they've lost their families, their, their relationships, um, and it's taken them, if they could rebuild, it's taken them a long time. All And often all for the sake of just one simple action that they could have taken, you know, reaching out from a ladder, whereas climb down, move the ladder, complete the task. You know, most of them are, are simple. A, a guy who stepped off a ladder, similar to your story, Brooke, someone had put some rubbish there. They'd gone up to do the task, come back down, someone had thrown some rubbish on the ground, tripped on that, fell, broke their ankle, the tool that they were holding, smashed their thumb, six months off work. You know, it's it's the little things can change your life forever. And I guess from my perspective, having seen some of those life-changing and, and debilitating instances that are often the result of just one small task that wasn't completed, one small action that was inconsiderate, you know, that, that's kind of sharpened my focus. And that, that tends to be my approach to encouraging people to do the right thing on site is, you know, I want you all to go on to have healthy and happy lives. Uh, do you see this on site, Brooke, or do you just have a whole bunch of breathers around you that are living for the weekend, <laughs> just saving up their money to spend on big mud tyres for their four-wheel drive that they've ticked up, or just go and bash it through a bar and into a urinal uh, in town, wherever they live? Oh, you make me laugh so much, Jay. I definitely have some breathers on site still. Um, but yeah, I think the the coolest part about um, the trades in general is... Um, how much people genuinely care about each other, even if they won't admit it and they'll take it to their grave, is the boys do have that big brotherhood and they are like a family on site. And so they do want to take the extra effort to look out for each other. And um, yeah, like I said, like injury on site, like I see people go off all the time for broken wrists and all types of stuff on site. And it's, it's purely just not worth it. I think mates in construction valued uh, Mm. the cost of a human life at a million dollars. So if you're going to lose one person on site, that, that is a, a way to put it in a financial aspect. It's just simply not worth it. Not worth the time, not worth the person's life, not worth the financial. It's, all about people first. And I am seeing that come through in companies in Queenstown, like my company that I work for, incredible. People first, always, always checking on each other, mental health and physical wise. And um, it just makes me so excited for the future of trades. Like it's only going to get better and it's a fantastic industry and job to be part of. Peter, does it, with technology advancing the way that it has, has it gotten simpler or has it gotten a little bit tricky? Because I guess when you're filling out paperwork, that that can become massively punishing and as a result of that gets pushed to the back of the queue is there app-based health and safety options now does it make it simpler does it make you sort of fly through and just select all boxes without paying attention (laughs) yeah there is i mean and this is the problem sometimes with health and safety and it's the problem with when you introduce lots and lots of legislation into health and safety it can become a box ticking exercise right 
And so people are focused on the compliance part of it, not necessarily the action part of it. Saying that, we are all required to keep records. Um, and thankfully, yes, the technology is there. And, uh, you know, so for the last umpteen years, I've used Hazard Co., which is a fairly well-known New Zealand company in terms of administering the sites. Um, they have done some tremendous work in developing apps and cloud-based solutions for this. So, yeah, that the, the actual paperwork part of it has become uh, more streamlined and easier to use. I'll often say to guys, if they're starting with me, you know, you need to provide me with a copy of your health and safety policy. This is for the companies, not necessarily the individuals. And they'll sort of like, oh, really? <laughs> you you, you want to see one of those? And it's like, yeah, I'm going to ask you because if I don't, someone else will. And then, you know, you're better off doing it for me and, and I'll give you the time to get it organized. But you should have one. And, and people do need to be involved actively in thinking and preparing. And it's it's the the active nature of your engagement with health and safety, which I think is the critical one. Maybe for tradies who are listening, the classic one is, is around tagging your leads. Now, Sparky, you probably have a particular insight into this. Done a million of them. Yeah, exactly. Now, part of it is you're supposed to have a tag, right? Theoretically, you don't, but people think you do. Whereas the active part of, of that is that when you're rolling up your leads, if you're still using them, given we've all gone to batteries, you know, you're running your hand over it, you're checking for nicks or dings and that sort of thing. And that's something you're actively doing every day. Is my gear safe? You know, did, did, last time I put my skill sword down, did I notice that the guard wasn't going down quite as quickly as, as it was before? Do I need to spend some time at Smoko just checking it, cleaning out the dust and those sorts of things? Not just a sort of, oh, yes, um, it's got a tag on it, therefore it's safe. It's like saying that a car with a warrant of fitness can't have a broken taillight. We've got to get a lot more nuanced and a, and a lot more insightful as to how we deal with health and safety. Brooke, with the test and tag stuff, is it once again, from a person of your age, is it just kind of going through the motions? Are we taking the money box there? There you go, mate. There's a bit of paper hanging off it with someone scribbled on it. Like, there have been industries that have been created out of testing and tagging stuff. How much time do you put into checking your gear so, for example, your drill bits aren't going to bust or your um, skelly blades aren't going to come whistling off and through somebody? Is there any of that that goes on or is it once again one of those things that you would hope that happens but just doesn't? Yeah, I think the test and tagging thing is a really good example because um, a lot of builders won't actually bother um, repairing like cords with nicks and mm. things in them until it comes to test and tagging time. So it's like that good incentive to give a little bit of a kick up the ass to people and say, right, that equipment's not safe, make a pile of it, we'll come in, fix it all. Um, but it is important to see these initiatives like test and tagging or site safe courses are just really good uh, reflection times for traders to be like, oh, okay, I need to take a step back and have a look at that and just think a bit safer and it kind of brings it to the forefront of your mind instead of just, oh yeah, just go to work every day and that cord's got a bit of a nick of it, but we'll just carry on for now. Like it's it's a really good incentive to think safer. Um, so that's a good part of those types of initiatives to see. Um, but with a lot of the sparky work I see, you know, I see people on site, like maybe the tiler or the flooring guy or trades who are just there for a day or two. Um, their multi boards are like from Kmart <laughs> and they've got like primary <laughs> insulation out. And I'm like, I'm like itching at the bit to like say, Hey, um, that's not safe. You can't use that. And I'm just like, Oh God, like sometimes it's about, just taking personal responsibility for your own safety 
um, and recognizing that your equipment's not safe and investing in some good stuff. So, yeah. How many times, Brooke, have you been asked to uh, just take a 25-meter lead and just turn it into two tens? We'll just whack that bit out of the middle, mate. We'll just chuck a couple of plugs on either end of it, give us a tag, would you, mate? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is so easy. And if you want your gear fixed and you've got a small nick in it, it is so simple just to fix it and, and throw a new plug on it, and then it's good mm. as gold. Like, it's it's a two-second job, and, and these things are just so worth it. Like, electric shogs are freaking awful. There's a few builders on site who have, you know, cut through a cable that's in their way or something, and they've had a bit of a buzz, and they hate it. Oh, yeah. And it is not enjoyable. So, like, these things are simply not worth it. Like... It's just not worth it. Just do the right thing and save yourself um, getting a good tickle at the end of the day from a bit of 240. <laughs> a tickle. Oh, I hate shocks. That's why I can never be a spark. Yeah, it's more than a second. Yeah. Uh, I guess if we, uh, we, as we come to a close, to throw the, throw the microphone to you, Peter, in, in just terms of what we can do to be better uh, and to make sure that we are safer and better site for everybody involved. Final thoughts, feelings, emotions? Yeah, again, I, I just want to, I suppose, hammer the, the pardon the pun, um, the whole awareness thing that, that it's, it's yes, there are lots and lots of rules and we can get really, really focused on the rules and the rules are there for a reason, but the, it's, it's the reason for the rule is more important. So, um, you know, I, I think it's all about looking after yourself, being respectful of yourself, being respectful of the people that you work with. And, and understanding that it is a dangerous environment. It's genuinely a dangerous place. You know, if that skill saw can cut a piece of timber, it's not going to have much trouble with your finger, you know. So, and, and there's a kind of complacency that grows up on sites over time. So, you know, I do think safety is obviously crucial, and but the way in which we deal with it is has got to be around awareness about having the right mindset that um, understands risk, manages risk, understands the nature of the environment that we're operating in and is focused on us going home at the end of the day and also being, you know, having happy, healthy lives when we're old, basically. Once again, thank you very much, Mr. Peter Wolfcamp. Uh, your insights, your time are much appreciated, not only by myself and Brooke, but uh, by everyone that's listening. I, I know that uh, you're held on a very high pedestal and for good reason as well. Thank you very much. Kind words. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for listening. In order. is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Trade Jobs NZ. It's hosted by Jay Reeve and Brooke Thompson. Recorded, edited, mixed and mastered by T.I. Hepatler. With production by Matthew McCauley and series management by Jane Yee. If you're ready for a career in the trades, visit tradejobsnz.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi. Tiai Hepatler here, Podcast Manager at the Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.